It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Okay, this is just the best headline of all time. Just spotted it seconds ago in Business Insider. J-Lo and Ben Affleck were spotted together in Montana, which is set to gain a new house seat in redistricting. Everything's about politics. Yeah, J-Lo and Ben Affleck were there, but, you know, Montana is getting a new house seat. It's just so funny. Uh, You know, a lot of attention being paid, not necessarily by me, uh, to... Jennifer Lopez, Ben Affleck, uh, I read somewhere it's been 17 years since they broke up and now they seem to be back. They took this vacation together. I mean, it's just such great tabloid gossip. Somebody had a great line. It said, yeah, J-Lo and Ben are back like the cicadas, which is a little bit of a segue into uh, my telling you that yesterday I saw my first cicadas uh, right near my house here in the Washington area. And they are disgusting. If you live in a part of the country that doesn't have cicadas, you don't know what you're avoiding. And they come every 17 years. It's like a biblical freaking plague. They live underground. I've never fully understood this. And they come up through these holes. And you see a few at first. They're big. They're ugly. And then there are so many of them uh, which will probably happen in a week or two, that when you walk on the sidewalk, you can't help avoid crunching them. Uh, they're just so gross. Little children are fascinated by them. Uh, you Then you forget about them, and then 17 years later, boom, they are back. Uh, I will probably have a lot more to say about this. It just is like the latest travesty to hit the Washington area. Uh, you know these reviews on Amazon, you also see them on Yelp and so forth, and a lot of people rely on them. You know, should I buy this product? What do people say about it? Does it work? Is it hard to put together? Turns out, this is according to PC Magazine, uh, somebody, some firm came up with a treasure trove of data from Amazon, uh, publicly available. Over 200,000 people are involved in an operation for fake reviews on Amazon. And it's not just like a lot of people, you know, like, you know, if you have a book out, you ask your friends, hey, would you post a five-star review, positive review? You know, that's amateur stuff. This is the evidence points to an operation being run out of China targeting the U.S. and Europe. How does it work? I'm glad you asked. Amazon vendors involved in the scheme, they come up with a list of products for which they want to generate five-star reviews. Customers sign up to take part, and then they buy the items on Amazon. They wait a few days, so it won't look suspicious, and then they post a review. A message is then sent to the vendor, along with a link proving, proving that the review is live and details of a PayPal account. The vendor then rewards the customer by refunding the purchase, but allowing the customer to keep the product. So like everybody's happy. Fake review is posted. Vendor makes money. You make money because you get to get something for free because you get a refund just because you say it's the greatest thing of all time, even though it may not be the greatest thing of all time. Amazon does moderate reviews, but the vendors performing this deception are well aware of the process and how to get around it. Just another blow to the notion that you can believe anything that you read on the internet. As long as we're talking about tech here, you know, I did a little After the Buzz video uh, about this new Twitter tip jar. I talked about it on the podcast, how, you know, I think it's fine for independent journalists and freelancers, but not for people who have actual jobs at companies, um, where, you know, if you like something I write on Twitter, you can send me a few bucks or a lot of bucks if you really like me, but I'm not going to sign up for it. Anyway, there's another Twitter innovation. I think Twitter's trying to come up with ways to make money and expand its base. 
Uh, I found this on a website called Protocol. Twitter will now encourage you to pause and reconsider when you post something unkind in reply to someone else, like, you stupid a-hole, you must not have a brain. So there's some kind of automatic function that identifies potentially harmful, offensive, and inconsiderate replies and then prompts users to reconsider their tweet before sending. So you're about, you hit send and you get this thing that pops up and says, do you really want to do this? Are you that type of person? I think you should search your soul. It doesn't I'm just making that part up. Um, it rolled out uh, a few days ago. And um, the, te- the team that worked on this for Twitter incorporated some new factors, such as the relationship between the replier and the poster. So if it's a good friend of yours and you want to give him or her S, then maybe that's okay. Scenarios where sometimes offensive language could be reclaimed by underrepresented communities. In other words, if you're a minority group, you're allowed to call members of your own group uh, names that would be a horrible slur coming from someone else. And new ways to accurately detect profanity, like there's not a lot of profanity on Twitter or or across the web. Okay, uh, but I think the significant thing here is, I I didn't copy, oh, here it is. The product team, I guess, doing this testing found that 34% of users decided to change or delete their reply after getting scolded by this pop-up prompt. Uh, Same people, 11% less likely to tweet unkind things in the future. So it's kind of like a, a grand hall monitor kind of thing. Anyway, we'll see if this gains any traction. All right, your Daily Donald, as I'm going to call these lesser items. Um, New email from the former president of the United States uh, about, yes, you guessed it, the 2020 election. But this is actually kind of significant, I think, and I will just read it. The major Michigan election fraud case has just filed a bombshell pleading claiming votes were intentionally switched from President Trump to Joe Biden says former President Trump. The number of votes is massive, all caps. Well, massive but unproven and determinative. And I guess that's his way of saying that if all these these allegations are true, he would have won Michigan. Uh, This will prove true in numerous other states. All Republicans must unify and not let this happen. And here's the zinger. If a thief robs a jewelry store of all of its diamonds, parentheses, the 2020 presidential election, The diamonds must be returned. The fake news media refuses to cover the greatest election fraud in the history of the country. They have lost all credibility, but ultimately they will have no choice. So with this diamond heist analogy, the 45th president seems to be saying, if this could all be proven, of course, if it could all be proven, it would have been proven a long time ago, then the diamonds must be returned, meaning I should become president again. Now, this is a not so subtle, but significant change because before it was just sort of like Donald Trump saying, you know, this is terrible and Biden shouldn't be president and Republicans got robbed and you should never forget this. And now he seems to be saying we need to press these recounts and audits and other, you know, a lot of this is just wish list, one-sided stuff like this travesty in Arizona. And then if enough of that can be proven and enough electoral votes can be overturned, I would leave Mar-a-Lago and go back to the White House. Well, that's a fantasy. That's not going to happen. All right, enough about that. Uh, Story number one has to do with the FDA approving the new Pfizer vaccine for kids aged 12 through 15. Now, this is a great development in my view. It is said to be safe. 
I guess the CDC has to sign off, and that always takes a few days. But then I think it'll become available pretty quickly. I couldn't find anything in any news story about this, about how quickly it become available, uh, how many doses will be sent out, will there be enough, and all of that. But there is a major New York Times story talking about how there's going to be a major effort in state after state after state to get this to these preteens. Um, for example, um, this is what's been happening with high school students in Hartford, Connecticut. Hundreds of high school seniors rode in bus caravans to a mass vac site where they got the shots as a DJ played Lady Gaga. Now the race is on to get their younger siblings uh, shots after the FDA approval. Uh, the approval was announced yesterday afternoon. Presents a bright new opportunity in the push for broad immunity against coronavirus in the United States, but the challenges are more daunting than for immunizing older, more independent teenagers. Well, duh. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation survey, many parents, even those who eagerly got their own COVID shots, are reluctant to vaccinate pubescent children. Yet doing so will be critical for further reducing um, this pandemic. And you can understand there would be a lot more hesitation when you're talking about children this young. I mean, you got to tread lightly here. Um, here's a superintendent of schools in East Hartford. The game changes when you go down as young, young as 12 years old. You need to have a different level of sensitivity. Indeed, states, counties, and school districts are trying to figure out the most reassuring and expedient ways to reach younger adolescents as well as their parents. Of course, because the decision is up to the parents. Even if the kids want to get it, uh, the parents may, I think a lot of parents here may take a wait-and-see attitude. Let's see what happens when a lot of kids get these shots. When I say kids, I mean this group of 12 to 15-year-olds. Um, in Columbus, Ohio, nurses will drive a mobile vaccination unit around neighborhoods just like you would an ice cream truck, someone's quoted as saying. You know, it would be even better if you had free ice cream, and then you get the shot. Um other states believe pediatricians and family doctor's offices will be the best places to catch teenagers and children as young as infants, because that's being looked at also, you know, 2 to 11, uh, as opposed to 12 to 15. Uh, eventually, they will be eligible for shots as well. The thinking is that pediatricians are in the best position to field questions from parents and children. Well, that's pretty obvious, but, you know, so I heard some people say, well, why not just give it out at the same time as you get your flu shot or your measles shot? Well, it's not that easy because I hadn't realized this, but what the recommendation for Pfizer, Moderna, whatever, is that if you're going to get the vaccine at any age, you're not supposed to get any other vaccine for two weeks before the shot or two weeks after the shot. So that does complicate the idea that this could be rolled into some sort of you know, one-stop shopping for a bunch of vaccines if you can't do it around the same time. Meanwhile, a lot of attention uh, going to this other New York Times piece by David Leonhard. He writes a uh, newsletter, former Washington Bureau Chief, in which he goes after Joe Biden's CDC. He says the CDC put out guidelines for mask wearing last month, and it said that less than 10% of COVID transmissions was occurring outdoors. Media organizations repeated the statistic, it quickly became a standard description, but the number is almost certainly misleading. Whatever does he mean by this? It appears to be based partly on a misclassification of some COVID transmission that actually took place in enclosed spaces. Some of this gets complicated. But an even bigger issue, he writes, is the extreme caution of CDC officials who picked a benchmark, 10%, so high that nobody could reasonably dispute it. Uh, one doctor is quoted as saying, this seems to be a huge exaggeration. In truth, uh, 
Uh, the Times concludes, the share of transmission that has occurred outdoors seems to be below 1% and may be below 0.1%. Multiple epidemiologists told Leonhardt. The rare outdoor transmission that has happened almost all seems to have involved crowded places or close conversation. Saying that less than 10% of COVID transmission occurs outdoors is like saying sharks attack fewer than 20,000 swimmers a year when the actual number worldwide is 150. This isn't just a gotcha math issue. It's an example of how the CDC is struggling to communicate effectively, leaving many people confused about what's truly risky. Because again, if you think that getting vaccinated doesn't really do you much good and you still have to wear a mask outside and there's even a 10% chance or... This is insane. Why are they being so cautious? They are defeating the purpose of getting more of the population vaccinated. Right now, I just read this morning, uh, 56% of the eligible population has gotten at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. But we need to get it to 70% or 75%. And you have to have some incentive, like you don't have to wear a mask outside because now we know from closer examination that unless you are in a very crowded place or right up nose-to-nose with somebody, you're not going to get it outside. I wish we had known this a year ago. I really do. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. Let's move along here to number two, uh, Washington Post piece on inflation. I, I have to stop right now and say it has been so long since I read a serious piece anywhere about the dangers of inflation. I mean, if you live through the Carter years when inflation was like double digits, in, in certain years it was 12% or 15% or even higher. And of course, the long gas lines of that era, this is the late 1970s, you remember inflation as a scourge. When inflation gets that out of control, and you know, when uh, when Ronald Reagan was elected and appointed uh, Paul Volcker, I believe, to head the Fed, I mean, the, the major thing they did was to crack down on inflation. The way you have to do that is you have to stop the economy from overheating. And that causes a lot of pain in other ways, rising unemployment, but that you had to get inflation. I, I mean, inflation was so high that people would just go to the bank and buy these CDs that would pay 10, 12, 14% interest. You know, you don't get that now, obviously. So the Post reports that widespread shortages and production snags are driving prices higher for many everyday items, leaving an uh, even economic reopening. And there is now a threat of inflation. If Joe Biden is able to pass his $6 trillion in new spending, you know, lots of mainstream economists say this could rekindle inflation in ways that we haven't seen for a very long time. So already just today, because of uh, shortages and production snafus, we have significant price increases for used cars, medical care, appliances, energy, food, and cigarettes just in recent months. Gas prices headed higher on Monday. Now, that obviously may have been related to the uh, pipeline shutdown uh, after the cyber hacking attack that now is expected to be back by Friday or the weekend, which is good news. Mo- most economists expect prices for many goods and services to show continued gains on Wednesday when the Labor Department releases its monthly inflation report. We all know about the monthly jobs report. When was the last time you thought about the monthly inflation report? You didn't need to think about it. The Federal Reserve is insisting that today's rising prices, up 2.6% over the past 12 months, will not blossom into anything like the double-digit inflationary spiral of the 1970s. But there were some economists, including Larry Summers, former Treasury Secretary, who are warning, as I said a moment ago, that President Biden's free spending could ignite inflation 
in a way that outstrips wage gains. So what's happened is you get into this cycle. Uh, the cost of everything goes up. Let me just pick an arbitrary figure, 10%. Well, maybe you got uh, a 6% raise at work. Well, that's completely wiped out, and then some, by the fact that you then have to spend 10% more of the same dollars that you get even with your raise uh, to buy the same thing as you bought last year. So then workers want bigger raises, and that's how the spiral takes place. I haven't really thought about this in a very long time. Um, so this is part of the sort of uneven recovery from the pandemic, which is taking place. Um, the the inflation futures, which I guess is traders betting on how high inflation is going to go, right now reaching their highest mark since 2013. Uh, but Bloomberg News is reporting that price gains expected to peak in the second quarter before easing later this year as some of these production bottlenecks are eased. Uh, the consumer price index has not been above 6% since the early 1990s. So it's not a big problem now, but clearly there's sort of flashing red light going on with regard to inflation. All right, number three, your daily dose of Liz. Tomorrow is the day that Liz Cheney will lose her House leadership job in favor of Congresswoman Elise Stefanik of New York State. Uh, so Politico in the playbook has, uh, you know, a lot of unnamed sources saying, well, you know, Although it seems like many Republicans, at least in Congress, are cheering the ouster of Liz Cheney for insisting, you know, basically for telling the truth, that the 2020 election was not stolen, for taking on Donald Trump in a way that most of her Republican colleagues on Capitol Hill are not willing to because they will, well, could lose their seats because Donald Trump remains today the most influential figure in the Republican Party. And if he backs a primary challenger to you, your chances of survival are not that great. So Politico has the piece. Again, nobody on the record. Some House Republicans are privately griping how Kevin McCarthy has fed a colleague to the MAGA wolves in his quest to become Speaker. And no, we're not just hearing this from the Adam Kingsinger type. Well, who are you hearing it from? McCarthy has sought to cast out on Cheney's leadership ability, arguing it is essentially selfish to call out Trump instead of prioritizing GOP unity. But other House Republicans question his own leadership qualities. One of them, here comes the blind quotes, a Republican long seen as an ally of leadership told us Monday night, says Politico, um, that he may oppose McCarthy for speaker because of all the recent drama. This person accused McCarthy of having no moral compass as he moves to punish Cheney while allowing members like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates to run wild. Okay, if you are a member of Congress and you are spewing this to Politico without having the courage to have your name attached, you don't have the right to say that McCarthy has no moral compass. Where's your moral compass? If you feel so strongly about this, why don't you speak out? Why don't you put your name on the record? Okay, here's the blind quote. Kevin McCarthy has pissed off enough members of his own conference that he's going to have to go back to his former days as a whip to try to figure out where the votes are to become Speaker said the member who is neither a moderate nor a member of the Freedom Caucus. I'd be worried if I was him. You have people like me who are here to do the right thing for all the right reasons and have an expectation of leadership that are, shall we say, disgusted with the internal squabbling that results from having weak leadership. All right, so here's another blind quote, senior aide to a conservative Republican member, put it this way. He's flip-flopped by January 6th, whether it's Trump's fault, it's not Trump's fault. It seems like he doesn't have the backbone to lead. So all of these, these two people are being allowed to anonymously, anonymously trash the House Minority Leader 
without attaching their names. On the other end of the ideological spectrum, a group of conservatives feel like they've been boxed in with Lisa Stefanik because McCarthy is backing her, but she's much more moderate uh, uh, and didn't vote as, with Trump as often as Liz Cheney. So there you have it. It's a mess for the Republican Party, I would say. Um, and clearly there are strong feelings, and clearly some of these members and leadership aides are venting on background to places like Politico, and look, it's, you know, they can do it, but again, I think it undercuts their moral standing. Like Liz Cheney, you can love what she did, you can hate what she did, the Washington Post says she's going to stay at this for months, I don't know if she's going to be able to retain her seat in Wyoming, that's a long way off, but she put her name to her criticism. She stood up for what she sees as principle, and the people who, you know, I'm not blaming Politico, but the people who anonymously dump on whether it's Liz or Kevin McCarthy or Donald Trump and, and are elected politicians and they don't want to have their names used, they are the cowards. All right, number four. Coming back to some more tech stuff. It's a big tech day here at the BuzzMeter. Facebook is planning, I did not know this, to develop a version of Instagram for kids younger than 13. Because you're supposed to be older than 13 to be able to use Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. Well, guess who thinks this is a bad idea? More than 40 state attorneys general. And this is, I'll explain in a moment, includes both Democrats and Republicans. Um, Facebook is plowing ahead anyway, according to the Washington Post, confident that a separate service will actually make social media safer for preteens. But in this letter to Zuckerberg yesterday, uh, the AGs are telling Mark Zuckerberg that social media can be detrimental to children's physical and mental health. Now, the story points out that Facebook has a rather checkered history of privacy protection. And these AGs are raising concerns the platform would not be able to protect younger children online or adequately comply with existing federal children's privacy laws. Uh, so here's the joint letter from all of these attorneys general. It appears that Facebook is not responding to a need, but instead creating one as this platform appeals primarily to children who otherwise do not or would not have an Instagram account. In short, an Instagram platform for young children is harmful for myriad reasons. Now, Facebook also has a point in its defense. Facebook is saying that its plan to make Instagram for preteens will give parents more control than they have now when everyone knows many kids younger than 13 use social media anyway. And that is true. Uh, TikTok, Instagram, you're supposed to be at minimum age. I think it's 13. But younger kids are on there. It's just a fact of life. Uh, so here is spokesman for Facebook, Andy Stone. As every parent knows, kids are already online. We want to improve this situation by delivering experiences that give parents visibility and control over what their kids are doing. Facebook will not show ads in any Instagram experience. I love the way they talk about it. In the Instagram experience. We develop for people under the age of 13, says Andy Stone. Uh, so on the one hand, what does Facebook want to do? It wants to get kids hooked on the early preteen version of Instagram. So when they turn 13, they will use the older for adults version of Instagram and they will have recruited them at a young age. At the same time, their defense is that, hey, kids are on this stuff anyway. We may as well have a version where there are no ads and where parents can have more control of what their kids are doing. But obviously, for these attorneys general to take this position is politically popular. Parents, grandparents, they're worried about the effect of social media. It's, you know, when this became 
uh, a problem on steroids during the pandemic when, you know, unable to go out and hang out with their friends. What do kids do? They're on their phones, they're on their iPads, they're on their devices. And it's hard for parents to say no. I mean, well, for one thing, you know, they use FaceTime and other and texting and other services to stay in touch with their friends for this long, dark year when they couldn't really see them. Couldn't see them in schools while our schools were closed. Um, couldn't go over to their houses because that was too dangerous. Uh, so everybody from uh, the Democratic Attorney General here in D.C., Carl Racine, to the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, Republican, uh, shows there was a bipartisan interest in keeping uh, or limiting the tech industry's influence on kids. It looks like Facebook's going to do this anyway, uh, and we shall see. Which brings me to number five, uh, the Golden Globes. The Golden Globes is getting hammered, and rightfully so. Now, Deadline, I think the website Deadline was the first to report yesterday, there'll be no Golden Globes on NBC next year. Remember, the Golden Globes, I never, I don't understand why the Golden Globes existed. You have the Oscars. Why do you need the Hollywood Foreign Press Association to do this other sort of weaker version, weaker imitation of it? But nevertheless, you know, it's been on TV every year. And NBC has put out this statement. We continue to believe that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is committed to meaningful reform. However, change of this magnitude takes time and work, and we feel strongly that the HFPA needs time to do it right. As such, NBC will not air the 2022 Golden Globes. Assuming the organization executes on its plan, we're hopeful we'll be able to show it in 2023. Now, I don't understand how NBC can just unilaterally do that because there's a contract here. And in fact, NBC, uh, it's unclear, says the deadline story, whether NBC will be paying the uh, HFPA the $60 million annual fee for the right to air the Globes next year. It's produced by Dick Clark Productions, NBC Universal Inc., the eight-year deal um, back in 2018. So what's the problem? The problem is nobody believes the Golden Globes have any credibility whatsoever since it was revealed back in February that this organization has zero black members. Now, what do you think? They just didn't think of it like, oh, oh, gee, you know what? We didn't realize that everybody who votes on the awards for these films is white. Sorry, we'll fix that right away. I mean, that is a travesty, outrage. Are you kidding me? And also there are other problems with this group about... Um, not just diversity, but the way they decide these things. Um, so uh, the HFPA brass is trying to mitigate things by uh, promising to increase their representation and adopt policies of great inclusion. That did not go over very well. Uh, since then, things have gone to, from bad to Hollywood. Uh, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association leadership has applied one band-aid after another. This is an opinion, in the opinion of Deadline. And to make things much worse, Tom Cruise is getting a lot of press because he has returned his three Golden Globe trophies to join this protest. When you got Tom Cruise saying, you suck, I don't even want these trophies, take them back, I'm renouncing you and everything you stand for, that's a pretty high-profile vote of no confidence. Uh, I don't care the Golden Globes aren't going to be on TV next year, and maybe they should never be on again. I mean, I don't know how you fix problems that are so deep-seated. Something, something tells me the Comcast lawyers have told NBC that they're not going to take a $60 million hit. In other words, spend $60 million and not even get a television show out of it. But, you know, given how uh, 
lowly rated the Oscars were this year. They went down, what, over 50%? Um, I do think the economy is trying its hard to be more diverse, more inclusionary, and reform. You know, remember, it was not that long ago that most of the awards went to white directors, white actors, white actresses, white everybody. And that's a big problem. It's a major problem. But at least they're trying to do it. What they can't seem to do is put on an award show that anybody wants to watch. I understand the pandemic was part of that, but geez. So, uh, Golden Globes, uh, I will not miss you next year. I, I think they should just fold their tent and go home. Why should there even be a foreign press association? I, the whole thing is just so sketchy, don't you think? So, we'll see whether there's any public uh, outcry over this. But I think I think once you know, Tom Cruise, you're toast, at least for now. Hey, before I go, this just in, literally. The Washington Post has named a new executive editor. Her name is Sally Busby. She is now the executive editor of the Associated Press, which obviously is a huge news organization. Um, this is fascinating because in the handicapping about who is going to be the next editor of the Washington Post, various names were floated, people to New York Times and elsewhere, people lots of digital experience, people from Win the Post itself. And I didn't see Sally Busby's name. It just shows you that, you know, covering uh, media, uh, it's like covering a political campaign. You know, you, you get people who get a lot of buzz and not necessarily the person who's going to win. Now, Sally Busby has a lot of experience. Uh, she has had experience overseas, and the Post is uh, an international paper, or has international coverage. Uh, she has been Washington bureau chief. So she knows D.C. quite well. Uh, the AP, of course, you know, has video and audio and all, all of that stuff. And she is a woman. And this is groundbreaking for this particular newspaper because it is the first woman in the history of the Washington Post to become executive editor. I mean, you go through all of the names, many of which are familiar for you. Uh, she succeeds Marty Barron. He succeeded Marcus Broccoli. There were, before that, it was Len Downey. Before that, it was Ben Bradley. If you go through the whole long, decades-long history of the Washington Post, and it's all a bunch of white men. So Sally Busby uh, has her work cut out for her. Uh, it is... Um, you know, whereas the New York Times has had a female editor, uh, whereas the New York Times has had, uh, now has an African-American editor in Dean McKay, uh, the female editor, of course, with Jill Abramson, the Post just never quite got there. So both on diversity grounds and because Sally Busby clearly has a really broad um, wealth of experience, she is the pick. Obviously, this must have been approved by Jeff Bezos, and he's entitled to have the editor he wants. Uh, so that bit of news, I'll probably have more on this tomorrow. With that, I hope you all stay safe. I hope you got vaccinated. If not, tell other people. If you did, get tell other people to get vaccinated. Start looking into vaccinations for kids uh, who are 11 to 15. If you have any children in that category. We hope you'll subscribe, Apple, iTunes, a lot of other places. See you tomorrow with more buzzing. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.